This is How Shall They Hear, a production of New Testament Christian Church of Renton, Washington. We hold services every Sunday morning at 1030 at 13470 Martin Luther King Jr. Way South, Renton, Washington, 98178. You can reach us by email at ntccrenton at gmail.com. See what God has for us today. Don't plan on doing a whole lot of yelling and pounding, if that's okay. I know we like those types of messages, but uh, let's do a little teaching here today. So let's uh, put our full focus here in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 8 and 9. Do two verses. Ezekiel 20, verses 8 and 9. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my fury upon them, to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my name's sake that I should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were in, no, in whose sight I made myself known unto them and bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. Now with the help of the Holy Ghost this morning, I want to preach and teach a little while on the title of this message God's reputation God's reputation sir can you stand and pray for the message thank you Lord for being so awesome we praise your name thank you for the teaching and our time to come together bless pastor now give him the unction of the Holy Spirit to teach and to preach your word and what you've laid on his heart and give us open hearts that we might receive your word and take from it what you desire for us to take and that make the changes you desire for us to make. We might be better Christians, and better men and women, that we might follow you more closely and reach more people for heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. God's reputation. Without a good reputation, no business, no service, no product, no personality, or such like will last long. And we know what a reputation is. It's a widespread belief that someone or something has a particular habit or characteristic. All things have a reputation to some degree, even God. And at the end of the day, God is who he is. He is the standard. But we are going to look today at God's reputation and the reputation of his followers. Now let's look at our Bible reading. Let's get this foundation going. What was going on here? We only read those two verses in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 8 and 9. God was speaking of the time with Israel in the wilderness. See, Israel had been crying out to be delivered from bondage. And crying out against the Egyptian slavery, the harsh work that they were forced to do, and many of the other atrocities that Egypt inflicted on Israel. Now we all want something in return. The least reward of doing something good for another is a simple thank you. You do something nice to somebody, you can say, oh no, don't worry about it, I just wanted to be nice. But still, you want something out of it. You may not want, you know, you may return a wallet just to be a good person, uh, and they may try to give you some money as a reward, you say, no, don't worry about it. But what if they slam the door in your face? What if you return the wallet and accuse you of stealing it? What's the thought that's going to go through your head? Forget it, I'm not going to give it back to you next time. What if you go ahead and uh, give some food to a homeless person? 
And then they turn around and set your car on fire. Now, I know that's kind of extreme, but think about that. You do something good for somebody. You're not necessarily asking for anything major to be acquired from them. Maybe a simple thank you, a sign of gratitude. But what happened here with Israel was they had cried out to God, deliver us from Egypt. And it wasn't long after that that Israel started to pay God back, but not with gratitude. with sin see eventually if you were mistreated enough you were going to stop being nice and that's what God was talking about here in verses 8 and 9 he said you know I, Israel rebelled against me I brought them out I delivered them I gave them hope I gave them promises and all they had to do was follow my commands and really the commands are very simple right in the beginning but God seemed to have to keep adding them on more as Israel rebelled. He said they didn't get rid of their idols. They didn't get rid of their false gods. See, God wanted Israel as his own. He wanted their full love and devotion. And if you read here in chapter 20, God actually repeats the same a section three times. I, Israel rebelled against me. Israel rebelled against me. Israel rebelled against me. And three times he follows up and says, and I purpose to wipe them out. I purpose to pour out my fury on them. I was going to judge them for it. I was going to wipe them out. He says this three times in the same chapter. Each time was a little bit different though. He said, they didn't keep my Sabbaths. They didn't get rid of their gods. And I wanted to destroy them over and over. He's going to pour out his wrath on them. And you can ask the question, is it wrong for God to be angry? The question is, do you get mad when someone tells you not to get angry? We've been in those situations growing up or whatever. We might be in a mood or angry. Hey, you just need to calm down and stop being so mad. No, I'm not going to be stop getting so mad. And you get even more mad, right? Right. Is God wrong for being angry? Absolutely not. Look at his word there in Ephesians 4 and 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Be angry is not the sin, but how you express is the issue. How you express it is the issue. God had every right to wipe out Israel. He has every right to wipe out all of mankind. He is the creator of mankind. But it's this verse here, verse 9, that explains why he did not wipe out Israel. He said, But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen. He's saying, I was going to wipe out Israel. But I did not want to destroy my reputation in front of the sinners. But I wrought in my name's sake. Be polluted. He said that my name should not be polluted before the heathen. Among whom they were in whose sight I made myself known unto them. In the bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. God was concerned about his reputation. He was looking at the bigger picture. The mighty hand against Egypt was no hidden secret. All the nations knew what had happened there in Egypt. They knew about the plagues. We, we tend to think that Egypt was some sort of isolated kingdom away from all civilization. No. There was a lot of trade going on during these times. you got to remember about... Uh, the Ishmaelite traders and things that sold Joseph to Egypt. There was a lot of trade and commerce. There were other nations and other kingdoms that knew of Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful in the region at that time. So they heard about what had happened. They heard about the plagues. They had heard about the Red Sea. He was concerned about his reputation and what it would do to the bigger picture. There in Joshua 2 and 10, this Rahab says this, Rahab of Jericho, 
She says in 2 and 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Word God around town, what God was capable of. Amen. Yes. Word God around town. Word God around town. God had a reputation to protect. But notice, it was in front of the heathen and the ungodly. See, one thing about Israel and God raising up Israel was to set an example for the rest of the world on how to live godly. How to worship the one true God. God wasn't willing to give Satan the satisfaction by wiping all of Israel out. He wasn't going to let Satan say, See, you're not going to have a people who are totally devoted to worshiping you. See, there's not a person on earth who's willing to call you Lord. He wasn't going to give Satan that satisfaction. So what is God's reputation? Well, that's something each and every one of us can answer in our own ways. Based upon what God has done in our lives. Amen. You know, and I'm just coming off my spiritual anniversary. November 2nd, 2009 is when I gave my life to Christ. And I was baptized in water, which is only a symbol of what God had done in your life. November 7th, which was today, which is today. 2009. Only a week after I gave my life to God and to Christ. So I could tell you what God has done for me. And you could say what God has done for you. And of course we can look in the word of God to see God's reputation. Like I said, at the end of the day, God is true. And he is everything that his word says he is. Period. But a reputation is how others perceive whatever is being viewed. That's what reputation is. Reputation and fact are two separate things. And it doesn't matter how mankind views God. God will remain on the throne. He is still Lord. Jesus is still Savior. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Those are the truths. A product or a service, if they don't uphold a good reputation, will fade away. If a business has poor customer service, poor quality, poor product, they're going to go out of business. God doesn't go out of business. Because first of all, he doesn't do things poor. He doesn't do things bad. Everything about God is good. Everything about God is wonderful. It is awesome. But just because a restaurant gets a bad review doesn't mean that the restaurant is bad to you, right? Restaurants get bad reviews all the time. Stores get bad reviews all the time. One person's uh, bad uh, time there, a bad experience doesn't change the fact of what they are. Go on uh, the Yelp, whatever. Every restaurant has a bad review. My cup was dirty. My food was a little bit cold. Because everybody has different... Uh, Standards to what they want. But a bear review can cause others not to try it, right? You go on, you check out the reviews of a restaurant or a product. If there's too many bear reviews, are you going to take the risk? Probably not. You hear too many bad things about it. So what are we trying to say here today? God is holy. He is true. He is just. He is righteous. And nothing could change that. But as confessing believers in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, we can paint a bad image of who God is. And thus, it can cause people to never seek Him out for their salvation. God is good. But we can tell people that God's not good. Based upon our reputation. Yes, a Christian does have a reputation too. And you know what? As an overall image, the Christian reputation, in my opinion, is shot. I truly believe the Christian reputation is shot in the eyes of the world. 
Because you never really meet anyone who curses God directly. But you will meet those who have, sure have a lot to say about Christians. Listen to the atheists. It's always targeted against the Christians. Oh, look, another Christian did this. Oh, another Christian did that. If the Christian believed in this, he wouldn't have said that or she wouldn't have done that. It's always directed towards the followers. You never really hear them say, well, God shouldn't have done this. God shouldn't have done that. It's like, where are the Christians now? How come the Christians didn't do this and did that? It always falls on the lap of the believers. And it's not always vicious, angry things that they, they charge us with. See, we are told to be a light in the dark world. But we're living in a time when no one takes the light seriously. No one takes us seriously. Why? Because of the errors of others. Sometimes the errors of ourselves or just plain misconceptions. Thinking the Christians are supposed to be one way. When the Bible doesn't tell us to be that way. Christians are supposed to do this. They're supposed to give me money when I need money. They're supposed to provide me with housing. But they're saying that they don't. They're not true Christians. Have we not heard something similar? Every one of us has heard that from somebody. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to do this. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to accept me for whoever I am. The Bible says not to accept sin. We accept the person as a soul needing a savior. But we do not accept the sin. We do not let it continue. If we have a way to put a stop to it. Amen. Let me give you an example from last weekend. I'm not going to give you details. But there was this kid. Okay. There was this kid that said. Oh. They're not giving out candy. I bet they're Christians. This was on Halloween. They said, those people, they're probably Christians. They're not giving out candy. That's why they're not answering or whatever it was. And I, I, it bothered me to hear this because is that all the kid knows about Christians? Is that they don't give candy on Halloween? Is that all his parents told him that the Christians are? People who don't want to hand out candy? Think about it. Like I said, the, the atheists and stuff will accuse Christians of major things, but it's these tiny little things. Oh, don't invite him to the barbecue. He's a Christian. He probably won't accept because we're going to be drinking. Most likely he probably won't accept, amen, because we got to be smart about where we find ourselves in. But those little things, oh... Uh, you're a Christian? Oh, you probably don't do that. You don't do this. You don't do that. I've heard it down to something simple as, what, you're a Christian? You play video games? Christians don't play video Who said Christians don't play video games? Wow. Something wrong with a video game that's not, you know, that's fine. A clean game that, you know, doesn't have any uh, thing that's going to fill your mind with junk. A Super Mario or a Sonic or something. Something that's innocent. But there's, the world believes in these things. They think we're supposed to be walking around like these uh, Catholic monks. We're not even Catholic, but walking around like these monks in these robes. Doing these little chants all the time. Living in a monastery. Going, hello my child. Hello my children. I am a Christian. But then when you do something like that, then they make fun of you for being like that. Oh, he's all high and mighty. It's a no-win situation. But I'm thinking about this kid. Christians are ones who don't give candy. You know, living in a fallen world and being able to be separated from the world, called unto God, yet being there as a light does require us to have some tact and to be wise. You know what I'm saying? We can't shut ourselves up in a house. We can't cut ourselves off from the world. Because then how are we going to reach others? You know, Jesus came down in the form of a man so he could identify with what we go through. Likewise, Christ has called us to be witnesses. Why? Because who knows mankind better than mankind? He didn't call the angels to be witnesses. 
He didn't call the angels to be soul winners. He called us to because we know, because we are mankind. We were fallen ourselves. We were sinners before Christ came into our life. Thus, we know how to get others to Christ. So how do you do that? How can you be a Christian and continue to live in a world? Being able to participate in the good things of the world, yet knowing when to separate yourself away from the bad things. Now I applaud the churches that do those harvest tests. You know, it's an alternative to Halloween. Where they set up games and the kids from the community can come and play games. And they, get, they still get the candy. They still get the, the, the fun of being able to participate. Yet not being part of Halloween. And that's not really what it was back in the day. Halloween really has become more for little kids dressing up in Avenger costumes. It's very rare that it's uh, back you know, in the 90s and 80s and the 70s with the witches sacrificing animals and stuff. It really has become more commercial. But I'm not justifying it or anything. I'm just saying times have changed different things. But they have these harvest fests at these churches. And we did one here. When we had a family and a couple of kids. We had them downstairs. And I think we had a fun time. Unfortunately not more kids came. We would have had a much better time. But we played games. We gave candy out. We had an alternative. And for a church that has a good large congregation and has a large community that can come, that's a great way to also witness to the parents. It's a give and take situation about living in this world. But we've got to ask the question, how do they view you in your community? Community where you live, your apartment complex, your housing, your neighborhood. How do, the, how do your co-workers view you? How do your family view you? Are you the Bible thumper who is ready to call out their sins? Or are you the guy or gal that they know that they can come to when they need prayer? When that new employee comes to work and they're, they're showing them around, do they say, oh, stay away from that person? He's one of those judgmental Christians. Watch out for him. He's going to try to get you to church. See how they turn that nasty spin around it? Watch out for him. Stay away from her. She's a Christian. Or is it, hey, if you need a prayer, go to that guy. Because he prayed for me. He's always been there for me. She's always been there for me when I had a prayer or a need. How do, how do they view you and your community? What is your reputation? See, a good reputation is easy, easy to create, but nearly impossible to restore. Think about some of those preachers who have fallen, and they do. The televangelists and stuff, they get caught doing something stupid. Because they thought that they got so high in the clouds that God couldn't knock them out of the sky. They had huge ministries. Big crusades. They were on primetime TV. Then they get caught with a prostitute or something. And it totally destroys their ministry. And they may have repented. They may have repented of that sin. And got back up on their feet and continued to serve God. But their ministry is never the same. You hardly hear Jimmy Swaggart anymore. He had a very large ministry there in the 70s and 80s. But then he got caught doing something stupid. They make a financial mistake. An accounting error. And the, the world jumps on that. They had a good reputation. But now it's impossible to restore. We have to try our best. To present Jesus. By walking rightly. In front of the ungodly. We refer to this reputation. As testimony. It's another word for what we're talking about today. Testimony. You don't want to be the reason that someone doesn't give their life to Christ. And you don't want to be the example of how a Christian should not act. There was this one book. I forgot who, who wrote it. I don't know. It might have been you who told me it or somebody else. But it was a what, not, what to say for someone not to get saved. Or something along those lines. Or 101 things to do to prevent somebody from getting saved. It was written by a preacher. Telling us how we should act. 
things we should do to have a good report among sinners and among other Christians. You don't want to be the one that the preacher uses as an example for what not to do. We have this task to be respectful or be respected, but make sure that we're also not judgmental. Now, I want to be careful with this because people always say, uh, they confuse the word judgment. See, we judge according to the word of God. If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. If somebody is living in sin, it's sin. It doesn't matter. Even if the person telling you that you were in sin is living in sin themselves, if the shoe fits, you can't say, well, psh, that person told me I'm living in sin, which I am, but they're sinning too, so I'm going to disregard what they say and I'm not going to change. No. We judge by the word of God. Doesn't change the fact of what you're, you're living in. But we got to remember that a true believer never forgets how they were before they met Christ. We've got to take ourselves back down the memory lane. We got to remember what came out of our mouth. We got to remember how we used to think. Because that way we could be merciful when dealing with people we're trying to bring to Christ. That's how we're not judgmental. There comes a time when we're going to have to say, hey, you can't be doing that. That's not judgmental. That's Bible. Hey, you can't do that. Judgmental is when you take it and you're using it as a sword for your own devious purposes. I'm going to condemn this person. I'm not doing it to make sure that they make it to heaven. I'm doing it because I want to be vengeful against it. I'm doing it because of my own pride. That's when, judge, that's when judgment becomes judgmental. And a lot of people who don't attend church say they don't because of too many judgmental people in the church. Now, I grew up in churches. And I grew up in youth groups. And different things. And I've been to many churches. I have never had someone come up to me and tell me out of the blue that I was some rotten sinner. Like that we had that stereotype of that old lady coming up to you in church. You are a nasty, disgusting sinner. Or some church prophetess. Oh, you are riddled in sin. You are ungodly. I never had that and I've never seen that. I know of people who have done that, but I've never personally seen an event like that. And it's never happened to me. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But when people come up and say, oh, I don't go to church because there's too many judgmental people. And every time I go in there, they come up and they judge me. I don't believe a lot of those statements. I really don't. A, because looking at some of the churches around this area, how can anybody set a standard for judgment? Some, some church member comes up to you and says, you, you're dressed like a harlot. That entire church dresses like harlots. <laughs> I would expect someone to be judged coming from a holiness church because there's at least a standard, you know what I'm saying? But if a whole church is full of people not even wearing any clothes, how are they going to go tell somebody who's coming in not wearing any clothes? I don't believe that, that they were judged. I believe that they went and they heard something that just they didn't like and they don't want to change. And then they claim, oh, they, they, someone judged me. It was probably the preacher preaching over the pulpit. Amen? Yeah. So I I went to church and this lady came up and she judged me. Please, no one just comes up to anybody. We live in, what is it? Is it an introvert when no, everyone kind of sticks to themselves? Right? Introvert, you want to stay home. Nobody just openly comes up to somebody randomly and starts talking to them. Especially in church. Come on. So when they say, I was judged, I went to church and this person came up to me and started telling me everything I did wrong. No, they didn't. I really don't believe that. And if they did, if I'm wrong in saying that, that that never happened, then I don't, I don't know what the situation was. But no one just coming up to you, judging you, come to the door to give you a list of things that you've done. They don't know who you are. They don't know why you're there. They don't even want to be there. Half the congregations in America don't want to even be in church themselves because they do not care about God. 
But like I said, we got to remember where we were. Before we do judge somebody, we got to remember where we were. We got to judge them righteously. If you are in sin, then the shoe fits, but it's God through the Holy Ghost who makes it known. Talked about having our positions in the body of Christ a few weeks ago. If you are meant to clean the toilet, you're not meant to preach. If you're meant to preach, you shouldn't be cleaning the toilet. God has our individual callings. If you're not the preacher, it's not up to you to point out something that somebody's doing. Even as a preacher, it takes a real long time for me to have to go up to somebody and say, hey, you're doing wrong. For the most part, if I have noticed somebody doing something in times past, other people that have been here in the church, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. And if I didn't bring it up, it's because they started doing what's right. Because God got to them first. It's when they haven't heard, and they, they won't listen to God, that God says, okay, now you have to do it publicly. Because that's what Paul says there in Corinthians. About when the time the rebuke in front of the congregation is. Luckily I haven't had to do that. I had to do that with a couple of kids one time. But that, that was a different situation. They were running away. They were jumping out of the, the window. And they were only what seven and four years old or something like that. And I rebuked them right sharply in, in front of the parents. Right in the church. Because the parents came and brought it to me. I was like, okay, you opened the flood door, you told me about it, I'm going to have to address it in church. Because, yes, the children are part of the church too. And they are open for correction. But I did it biblically. I did it biblically. The preacher is the one that should bring up someone's sin, and it's done in love. It's done in mercy. As, hey, brother, yeah, we know you've been going here. You're not supposed to be going there. And if they want to get loud and rambunctious and say, I don't care what you say, then you do something about it publicly in front of the church. But we try, as preachers, even as soldiers, sometimes you might have to deal with it on yourselves, gentlemen. Somebody you know that hasn't been in the church and you know they're going down a real bad path. You got to do it in love. You got to do it because you know where it's going to lead them. Not because you're on some high, high and mighty pedestal that you could say, oh, I can tell you what to do. No, it's got to be out of love. And you got to go to prayer and say, Lord, how do I approach this situation? How do I address this person? So on and so on. We need to be respected and not judgmental. So I haven't seen anything where somebody says, I don't go to church anymore because there's too many judgmental people. Truth is, you just don't want to change. You don't want to do what God wants you to do. That's what it is. God has a reputation to uphold. And he doesn't need us to ruin it. The world does not cut us believers any slack. Think about it. And I, I brought this up before. Uh, somebody you know, will make a joke or something. It's not a bad joke. It's just something that you know, is witty. Maybe something, maybe you saw someone trip and fall. Like, uh, you know, an old school uh, slip up comedy or something. Three Stooges. They're, they're slapping each other and boinking each other. And poking each other and doing all this other stuff. And you think that's funny. And they say, you can't laugh at that. You're a Christian. So you can't make people, you can't make anybody happy. You really can't. And you could say, you can go around and say, well, you know what? That's that person's stubbornness. I can't walk around all day like I'm high, you know, and watch my testimony all the time just for them. That's their problem if they don't want to take me serious as a Christian. And that's true. People don't want to get saved over some trivial things. Get people who leave the church because a pastor says, hey, listen, you really should have your kids vaccinated from this and this and that. They get up and leave the church. Well, measles and stuff does spread. You're going to leave the church because of that? Because of uh, something that the pastor is trying to contain so people don't get sick? So that the media doesn't show up on your front step? And really, the, the, the people I'm referring to, they were going around the church and trying to 
They were forcing the church to make a decision on or take a position on vaccines. And we're not even talking about this was before COVID. Okay, this was just general vaccines, flu shots and everything uh, that we all grow up getting. And they were going around to all these uh, Christians in the church, other believers, and trying to get them to convert over to this doctrine. Because they were. They were saying, you shouldn't take this vaccine because it's sin. You shouldn't take this vaccine because they're using fetal babies in it, in which that's not necessarily true. They don't have They got that from the internet. They didn't read no box that says it. But they were trying to make a doctrine out of it. And the pastor had to step in and say, hey, you got to stop going around telling people this. It's really everyone's personal choice. Stop telling them it's a sin. Stop telling them that they're wrong for doing it. And they leave the church. The people left the church because they were rebuked for it. But people leave God or they won't get saved because of these silly, trivial things. But you know what? At the end of the day, it still falls in our laps as Christians. I'm not going to go to that church anymore because I don't like the shoes that guy was wearing. You can say, forget that. Forget him. He can go away. I don't care. It's not a heaven or hell issue. But you know what? At the end of the day, that guy was still offended. If he doesn't make it, if he doesn't get right down the road and understand that shoes aren't a heaven or hell issue, will you still say, you know what? Maybe I should have worn something a little bit better for his sake. And that's why we're very careful. And yes, times are changing or whatever. But we were in, in Timothy and Titus, Paul is talking to these preachers about how to present themselves as ministers, as Christians. Not even just ministers, but as Christians. And they didn't go into detail about suit wearing and different things like that. Uh, so many different things. You got, you know, in the Philippines, they don't wear suits. They wear those shirts. But those are the shirts that they, the Filipinos assume is like a suit. But our preachers wear those types of shirts. So yes, there are cultural things that go back and forth. But what we have to look at ourselves and say, yes, even though that person might have a heart problem, maybe that person has very high standards that doesn't really matter at the end of the day biblically, we should still do our best to maintain a good reputation for God's sake and for that person's sake. So you notice the new vehicle we got out there. We got into an accident. Got blessed with a vehicle that night. Praise God. God moved. But I was thinking about, you know what, that vehicle is a lot nicer looking than the one we had. The one we had was old. It was, you know, it, it got us through. And then, you know, a paneling was missing on the side door because I had gotten sideswiped. It wasn't my fault. It was a hit and run. The guy took off. I tried following him. But I'm starting to look at this van. And I'm like, man, this van really looks rough. Do I really, as a preacher, do I want to really be seen driving around picking people up in this van that's starting to shake? And this van that, you know, you know, the, my, my gauges on the front and the dashboard, they were starting to short out. So they were going, you know, it'd be full, empty, full, empty, and everything was going crazy. If I was picking somebody up from church and they saw that, Yes, that's not a heaven or hell issue. That should not make them say, you know what? I don't want to go to this church. Look at this car you're driving. It's, it's, but but people, do, people are like that. So we should do our best to present ourselves to the best of our ability to give God a good reputation and to give us a good reputation. Yes, we can't go to the extreme. Life is life. I'm not going to go buy a Rolls Royce. Because then people are going to find fault with me for having a Rolls Royce. Look at that preacher driving up in that nice car. You know, like you see what I'm saying about this good reputation is bad. People, no one is ever going to be truly happy. But we still have to meet somewhere in the middle. And that's what we got to do as Christians. And as soul winners and ministers and brethren and sisterin. We got to meet somewhere in the middle. We can't kill ourselves, break our backs, break our wallets, trying to get some fancy suits and stuff. But we've got to make sure that what we do wear is appropriate, but not overdoing it.
Show people, yes, we're still normal people. We're still just like you. God has a reputation to maintain. And the world doesn't cut us any slack. They expect us to be a certain way. And if that's what's going to take them to come to church, if that's what's going to take them to come and get saved, to take us seriously, then we'll do what we can as long as we're not overriding the word of God. See, being asked to perform the memorial service a couple months ago, I considered a huge victory for my calling in God. A family had trusted me to bring the words of life to them. They approached me. For once, someone came to me. It's always, we're always going to everybody else. Hey, come to church. Hey, can I invite you to church? Hey, when has someone says, hey, can I come to church with you? I heard you're a Christian. Can I come to church with you? We don't hear that much. So when they came and they said, hey, we had a family member die and we know you're a minister. Do you mind coming and doing a memorial service for us? And then talking to the family, saying, can I preach the gospel? And the, girl, and the, the, the daughter-in-law said, yes, preach. We need it. That was awesome. I was happy to hear that. But that's because I had a reputation. And the lady who asked me, I worked with her. And I, I'm sure I destroyed my testimony many times in front of her because we're working in close proximity. I get mad. I get frustrated. I get upset just like anybody else, right? Praise God she had forgotten all about that. She said, you know what? I know a minister. I know somebody. And yes, on the service, they just want someone to perform the, the, the memorial service. But on the underlining uh, cause of it all, God needed someone to preach to that family. And I was excited about that and humbled by it. And they approached me. There are going to be those who despise us no matter what. But has anyone asked you to pray for them? Has anybody asked you advice on a biblical issue? Has anybody come to you and said, bring me to church? I heard you were a Christian. I have a question. Do you have an extra Bible? I need prayer. I need this. Has anybody done that lately? And I'm not asking that question as a, as a, to beat anybody up. I don't know what goes on in your, your guys' weeks. But do we have a reputation that God can use to further his will? Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know they can count on you? Do they know that you pray for them? Or are you that one guy that says, stay away from him. He's the judgmental Christian. Stay away from him. We don't want that. We want people to come to us. We have to maintain God's reputation. We got to show people that God is love. We got to show people that God is mercy. It's through us that he shows the world these things. That's why we are the light that cannot be hid. You don't hide the light under the bed or under a bushel. We are that light. And it's not too late. It's not too late if you have destroyed a reputation. It's not too late if you've destroyed a testimony. In someone's eyes. Why? Because there are billions of people who have never met you yet. You may have blown it in their eyes. And, you get, and I've done it. I know there's people who I can probably never tell about Jesus. Because they're just going to look at me and say, okay, yeah, all right. Sure. See, it's one thing if, you know, you're a sinner, you know, you were a sinner before people, before their eyes, and then now you're a Christian because then now they can see the difference. But what if you destroyed it as a Christian? They're going to be like, I'm not listening to you. I heard, you know, I, I did something once. I don't remember what it was. I might have made a joke or something and just caught up in the heat of the moment. And one person said, oh, I would never go to your church. I can't believe whatever I said. I don't even remember it. But it was a joke, and I, I think it was something that wasn't even that bad. It was it was one of those innocent things like I talked about earlier. And they, they assumed that they, and she already had a problem with God anyway. I know that. But just, what if somebody said that to you? I'm not going to your church. 
I won't, you know, if, if that's how you act, I'm not going to go to your church. So you may have blown a testimony in someone's eyes, but there are so many people who have never met you, who have never laid their eyes on you. Now is the chance to make it right. It's now is a chance to stop and say, hold on, let me fix these things in my life that do not shine the light of Christ the brightest. These filters. Remove the filter. Remove the things. And this is what God wants us to know today. This is why God gave this message in my heart. Because he wants us to be ready. Because we're going to start meeting people. And we have to be that light. We have to be that testimony. We are gearing up for this season. We're going to meet so many people looking for hope. Our employers are going to be hiring new people. They stopped the unemployment. The actual unemployment. The eviction ban, I think, either has expired or is going to expire. People are going to start to have to come back to work. Back to the workplace. We're going to be meeting new people. We're going to be meeting people out doing their shopping for the holidays. We're going to be doing, meeting so many people. And they say that we may be the only Bible that a person reads. The same Jesus who took us out of sin can help refine us. And that's what it is today. We got to be refined. We got to check ourselves. Most importantly, if we have a good reputation with God, the same reputation will be good with everybody else. If God can look down on us and smile, those around us can look at us and smile. Just like a car needs maintenance, oil change, spark plugs, a car wash, vacuum the inside of the car, take out the trash, get new tires and all these things. We too as Christians need a time of maintenance. An employee at a business can cause the business to have a red, bad reputation. We are in the business of telling people that Jesus loves them. That he died for them. And if they come to him, he will save them. But any good salesman must believe in the product themselves. I don't want the guy selling me a Corvette. Be driving around in a Jeep. I want him to say, I have the same Corvette. And I love it. And I take it everywhere. And it does good to me. I don't want the chef serving me something that he doesn't like. He made the menu. It should be everything that he likes. I don't want someone. Or I don't want someone to walk in my shoes if I won't walk in theirs. Are we listening to God's voice? Are we living right? Is holiness met with love? What is our reputation today among our communities? Our neighbors. Our family. Others in the church. I'm not saying we got to walk around like monks. We're real people. We're susceptible to having bad days. We're susceptible to not feeling well. We're going to face challenges that are going to try our faith. Going to try our patience. But when we're amongst others, we have to stop. Adjust our spiritual tie, I guess you can say. Take a deep breath and say, I'm about to walk into the den of lions. Will I stand courageous in front of them? Will I be the light that they are looking for. Thinking about what that one demon said. Paul I know. Jesus I know. Who are you? Think about that. Jesus I know. Paul I know. I know these men because they got a good reputation. We fear them. 
We don't fear you. We walk into a room. I'm not saying you got to sit there and say, Attention everybody, I am a Christian. Come unto me if you need a blood. No, I'm not saying that. But I've had people say, you know, there's something different about you. I've had that. And that's a great feeling. When, you say, when someone asks you, so what do you do on the weekends? Oh, I go to church. You know, I knew there was something different about you. Has that happened to any of you? I'm not asking. It's rhetorical. <laughs> hey, if it has, praise God. That's a good sign, right? Has that, hap has that happened recently? Has, there, has anybody testified of your Christianity? It's time we do some maintenance. It's time that we check ourselves too. And this is good news. This is good news from God. Maintenance is a good thing. Amen? Amen. As we bow our heads and close our eyes in reverence to him. <clears throat> I know for sure I have not lived up to the calling that God has for me. I know I haven't done all that I could do to present myself as a believer, as a Christian, as somebody for others to seek hope in. I know I haven't done my best. So this message is also for me, not just for those who've heard it. But I also know that I can do better. Lord, I have delivered the message in which you have laid on my heart that I also need to be better in you. That I have to uphold your reputation, Lord God. Yes, Lord, at the end of the day, you are true. You are faithful. You are love. You are mercy. You are grace. You are judgment. You are righteous. You are all these things. But I am your spokesman. And I am the one to tell the world that you are all those things. And Lord, we come to you now. Deal with our hearts by your Holy Ghost according to your will. Leave this message with your Holy Ghost. And I turn the remainder of the service over to him. What a final place to pray this morning.